0: Good morning church. It is so good to see you. Whether you are here in this room, whether you're watching online, whether you are a member or you are a guest with us this morning, I just want to start by saying that I love you and I appreciate you. Thank you so very much for being part of our assembly this morning. Thank you so very much for allowing the Lord to use you in all of the ways That he is using you. We started a new series last week. We're gonna go through next week, and we're talking about a very difficult, challenging subject, a subject that we don't like to think about or talk about, and that is death. Last week we talked about God's promise about death, that someday God will swallow up death forever, and that death will be no more. Today we're gonna talk about God's perspective on death, and next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about God's power over death. But as we talk about death, I, I feel obligated to remind us of something that sometimes I think maybe slips our, our mind, maybe we forget about, or maybe we never knew in the first place, and that is that death is not from God. Amen? Death is not from God. Life is from God. Life is from God. Death is not from God. When when we experience death, there's something in us, whether we are religious people or we are not religious people, even our secular friends who don't believe in God, when we experience death, something says and cries out in us, it shouldn't be this way. You felt that way? You've seen that, you've felt that, you've known that feeling, it shouldn't be this way, especially when we lose somebody that's so young, somebody we didn't expect to die, and we say, it shouldn't be this way. And do you know what God says when we say that? God says, amen. That feeling that it shouldn't be this way, it actually points us toward God. It actually points us toward the gospel itself. And that's what I want us to get deep down into our hearts and souls throughout this series, is that when you experience death and grief and mourning and you feel like it shouldn't be this way, then God agrees with you and says it shouldn't be this way. In fact, God created a world without death, a world where we wouldn't experience death. And do you know what human beings did? We know what human beings did, don't we? We rebelled against our creator. And when humanity, when Adam and Eve rebelled against our creator, then pain and death became a regular part of the human experience. When humanity rebelled against our creator, that's when pain and death became a regular part of the human experience. But here's what our God does, because God so hates pain and death that often God has intervened to prevent pain and death. And we have, we have so many examples of that in scripture, don't we? Of God intervening to prevent and to minimize pain and death. And probably you can look at your own life your own experiences, and you can testify to the fact that God has intervened in your life at times to prevent and minimize pain and death. I, my own personal, let me get personal for just a minute. Most of you know that last year my dad suffered a heart attack, and, and when I left my house here and drove to Abilene, I contemplated whether or not I needed to take a suit and tie because I didn't know how that story was going to end. And I pleaded and I begged with God to save my father's life. And, and just a couple of years ago, Holly and I got a similar type of phone call with her father and, and we left here and we drove to Tyler to be with her family and we didn't know whether or not we should take clothes for a funeral because we didn't know how that story would end. And thankfully, God intervened in our stories to prevent and to minimize pain. And death. And probably all of us have had moments like that. Moments where we thought this could end very badly. And you prayed and it didn't end nearly as badly as you thought it might have ended. Right? We can all, we can all relate to those types of experiences. But, but let me ask us a question. I I want us to think about this this morning as we think about the times when God does intervene to prevent pain and to prevent death. Let me ask you this question. When is God obligated to intervene in your life to prevent pain and death? I think this is important. As we think about this this idea and this concept of God intervening to prevent pain and death, we have to ask, when is God obligated to do so? And our mind says never, right? Our mind says never. God is never obligated. God doesn't belong to us. He's not our slave. He's not our genie in a bottle. God is never obligated to prevent pain and death in our life. We understand that pain and death is a part of the human existence because of the fall of man, and God isn't obligated to intervene to prevent pain and death in my life. I like him to. I want him to. I ask him to, but he's not obligated to. Our mind says that, doesn't it? But sometimes our heart says something different, doesn't it? Our heart says, no, God's obligated anytime I need him to, anytime I want him to, anytime I need him to prevent pain and death in my life, God is obligated to. And our heart sometimes says that, doesn't it? Like God should, God must, God needs to. And here's a warning I want to give us because I think we all have moments like that where we think, God, why aren't you showing up and fixing this? Why aren't you showing up and preventing this? here's a warning I want us to, to recognize, that obligation creates ingratitude. Obligation creates ingratitude. When we obligate someone to do something for us, it creates ingratitude, so that, so that when God actually does prevent pain and death in our life, we're not really super grateful, because we kind of expected him to anyway, right? When God actually intervenes, when we say, God, please help me to have a safe trip, please help me to get to my destination safely, and we get to our destination safely, nothing bad happened, we don't just fall on our knees and say, thank you, God, you answered my prayer, because we kind of expected him to anyway. We kind of felt like he was obligated to protect us anyway, and so we're really not that grateful when God does prevent pain and death, and then when he doesn't prevent pain and death, when God doesn't intervene, then we're, we're upset, aren't we? We're upset and we say, why didn't you? Why didn't you? You did all of these other times. You did under all of these other circumstances or you did for all of these other people. Why not this time? See, that's what happens when we obligate God in our heart to, to show up and to do something. When we obligate God to prevent pain and to prevent death. And and that, that sort of obligation creating ingratitude, that happens in other relationships too, doesn't it? Like when we go, if you go out to eat at a restaurant and you ask your waiter for food and, and they, they bring it to you, you don't fall on your knees and thank them for their generosity, do you? Because they were obligated to, right? They had to. They're, they're, you're not really that grateful for them doing what they're obligated to do. Now, if they don't show up with your food, you're a little upset, right? Because you were obligated to do that. And that's exactly how we tend to treat God. We feel like God is obligated to show up in our life, obligated to prevent pain, obligated to prevent dying. And so when he does, and we have a safe trip, or we get better, or this doesn't happen the way that it could have happened, we're really not all that grateful. But when God doesn't intervene to prevent pain and death, we're kind of upset because we expected him to do that. We felt like he was obligated to do that. So let me ask you another question. Let me ask you this. What might happen? What might happen if you emotionally released God from any obligation to prevent pain and even death? Well, what might happen in your heart? What might happen in your life? What might happen in your relationships What might happen if we emotionally release God from any obligation to prevent pain and death? That doesn't mean we don't ask God to prevent pain and death. It just means that we release God of any obligation and we acknowledge in our heart what we've already acknowledged in our mind that God is not our genie in a bottle. God doesn't belong to us. God is not our slave or servant and he's not obligated to show up and prevent pain and death in our lives. What's going to happen is that when he does show up and he does prevent pain and death, we're gonna be overwhelmed with gratitude. I'll go ahead, spoiler alert, that's what happens is we are incredibly grateful when he does. And when he doesn't show up, when he doesn't prevent pain and death, we, we understand and we acknowledge that there's probably a reason And that God in his sovereignty and God in his wisdom has a reason for not preventing pain and death in our lives. And I really want us to think about that as we look at this morning's psalm. Look at Psalm 116 and let's think about it in its original context. Think about exactly the things that the psalmist is saying. And then talk about how that relates to us and also how it points forward to the gospel. So hundreds of years before Jesus, this psalmist wrote an experience that any of God's saints, and the word saint, we're going to talk about it more in a little bit, it just means holy one. I love the way Brother Garner's uh, translation says, faithful servant. Guess what? If you're a child of God, if you belong to him, you are a saint. Sainthood isn't achieved, it is received, right? Sainthood isn't achieved, it's received. If you are one of God's people, you are a saint. And so these experiences that this, servant of God has had, you have probably had as well, that God has shown up and God has helped him. Look at Psalm 116 and verse one. He says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. See, this is what happens. This Psalm is what happens when we emotionally release God from any obligation to prevent our pain and death. When we pray with anticipation, but not any sense of obligation, then we can truly have appreciation, right? Let me say that again. When we pray with anticipation, but not any sense of God's obligation, then we can truly have appreciation. We truly appreciate what God does when he actually hears us. Listen, he says, you heard my voice, my pleas for mercy. You inclined your ear to me. It shocks us when God hears us. And isn't that, shouldn't we be shocked by that? That the creator of the universe, the one who invented the molecule, the one who invented the atom, he listens to you. He hears your voice. He hears your pleas for mercy. And how many times have you experienced that where you know God heard me, God listened to me, God answered my prayer. I asked God for healing. I asked God for help. I asked God for intervention. I anticipated it. I wanted it, but I didn't necessarily expect it. And I knew God wasn't obligated to do it. And so then you're just overwhelmed with this sense of appreciation that you weren't obligated to show up. You weren't obligated to listen to me. You weren't obligated to hear me and you did anyway. You listened to me and you helped me. You delivered me. You, you inclined your ear to my voice. How many times has God done that for you? And the, here's the, here's the, the, the spoiler, the, the truth is, you don't even know, right? I don't even know how many times God has done that for me, right? I, I, on the way here this morning, I could have died in a car accident, and I didn't. How do I know that God didn't intervene to prevent my pain and death this morning, today? Countless times, every single day, God may be intervening in your life, answering your prayers. And when we pray with anticipation, but not a sense of God's obligation, then we can truly have this kind of appreciation where we say, I can't believe it. The creator of the universe heard me. The creator of the universe listened to me. The creator of the universe intervened in my life to help me. And when we release God from any obligation to intervene, and then he does anyway, then we are truly appreciative. Look at verse three. Now, of course, the psalmist is talking about some specific event in his life. He says the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, and Sheol is the the realm of the dead, the pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me he saved me. And obviously it's just a beautiful poetic way of describing how the psalmist was about to die. I thought I was going to die. I was right in the grip of death and you rescued me and I didn't die. You prevented me from dying. And and if we would understand that most of the bi- time the Bible talks about salvation, sometimes we get salvation and make it this really deep complicated complex theological idea most of the time the bible talks about God saving us it's as simple as this isn't it it's as simple as this and if we would understand this in the old testament we would probably better understand it in the new testament but notice that the salvation that God gives to the psalmist is based on God's character and not the psalmist's character Look what he says. He says that God is gracious and righteous and merciful. And what does he say about himself? That I'm just simple. I'm just simple and I'm just brought low and I was in need and you rescued me. See, that's what salvation is. Salvation is based on God's character, not yours. Salvation is based on God's character, not yours. So all of those times that God has heard you and God has answered you and God has intervened in your life and prevented or minimized pain and suffering and death, he did it because that's who he is. Because he is gracious, because he is righteous, because he's merciful. He wasn't obligated ever, ever to do that. He wasn't obligated to help you ever. He wasn't obligated to prevent you from dying ever or prevent your loved ones from dying ever. He wasn't obligated to heal you or protect you or save you or deliver you. And when he's shown up and, and done those things, it's not because you're good or bad or because you're this or that. It's because he is gracious and he is righteous and he is merciful. And the psalmist acknowledges that because this is who you are. You listened to me. You heard me. You showed up. I was going to die, and I didn't because of who you are. Look at verse 7. He says, return, O my soul, to your rest. Ah, oh, I can rest again. I can rest again because of what God has done. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now again, in the land of the living, this this whole psalm is about how the psalmist could have died, maybe should have died, but didn't die, and that God prevented him from dying. And so he says now, oh, my anxiety is gone, my worry is God, God, you rescued me, you showed up, you delivered me, you helped me. And again, when we don't expect God to do that, when we don't obligate God in our heart to do that, and he does, then we can have this kind of, of gratitude, He says, verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Here's something maybe we need to acknowledge, that belief and grief are not mutually exclusive. Belief and grief are not mutually exclusive. He says, I believed even when I said, I'm greatly afflicted all mankind are liars. They're out to get me. Even when I said it, even when I cried out, even when I acknowledge I am greatly afflicted, I believed. I believed. Belief and grief are not mutually exclusive. Being a believer doesn't mean that you won't have times of affliction. Being a believer doesn't mean you won't have times of pain. Being a believer doesn't mean you won't have times of grief. Being a believer doesn't mean you won't have times where you are going through these things and acknowledging those things, acknowledging I'm greatly afflicted. This hurts. This stinks. I shouldn't have to be going through this. I don't know why life is this way. It doesn't mean that you're not a believer. It just means that if you're going to be delivered and if if somebody's going to intervene and help you, who's it going to be? It's going to be the Lord. If I'm going to be helped, if I'm going to be saved, if this situation is going to get better in any way, shape, or form, however God does it, however he intervenes, in whatever way he works, and whatever he uses, whatever tool, or whatever person, or whatever means, or whatever method God intervenes, if I'm helped, it's because the Lord is going to help me. He's not obligated to, but I believe he can, and I believe he might. Look at verse 12. He says, What shall I render to the Lord? for all his benefits to me. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. See, God's unobligated generosity evokes this kind of gratitude and devotion. If we really let go in our hearts of God's obligation to intervene and help us, then we would ask questions like this. What can I give to God for all the benefits he's given to me? And and all of this psalm is based on one time, one time that God showed up, one time that God intervened, one time that God prevented the psalmist from dying. And he says, based on this one time, on this one experience, I'm just overwhelmed and I'm asking, what can I give to him? What can I render to the Lord for everything he's done for me in this situation? But sometimes we don't act like that. We don't talk like that. Oh, we're thankful after it's over. You know, we we say, thank you, God. But we we beg with him. We plead him, please show up. Please fix this. Please help me. And sometimes he does. And instead of falling on our knees with gratitude, we're just like, oh, thanks, good. I'm glad because you were kind of obligated to do that anyway. And we just kind of move on. But the psalmist says, no. My mind is blown I am overwhelmed that you would listen to me that you helped me at all I was I was in the grip of death I could have died I should have died and now I get to walk around in the land of the living because you are gracious because you are righteous because you are merciful And now I'm just overwhelmed and I want to give something to you. I want to lift something up to you. I want to sacrifice something to you to show you how thankful and how grateful I am for your unobligated generosity. Now look at verse 15. And here's a verse you've probably heard many times before. He says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. (laughs) That seems like a... Odd thing to say right in the middle of all of this, doesn't it? Precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. Now, I I think sometimes it's the word precious that kind of throws us off. Because it it sounds like, based on the word precious, that maybe it's saying God welcomes the death of his saints or God likes it when his saints die. Nothing, Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, the whole psalm is about how God, because he loved the psalmist, he intervened because God is merciful, because God is righteous. Because God is gracious, he intervened and prevented the death of the psalmist. So why would the psalmist say, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? I think maybe a better word or more helpful word might be costly. Costly in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And when I think of the word precious, I think about stones, don't you? Like a precious stone, like a like a diamond. And if I had in one hand a diamond that was worth just untold riches, just a diamond that was just so valuable it couldn't even be appraised. I had one hand, I had a diamond, and in the other hand, I just had a common, ordinary rock. Which one would be more costly to lose? Which one would be more costly to lose? I could lose the rock and you could say "It's, it's meaningless, it's insignificant, it's inconsequential. That's the opposite of precious. But if you lost this diamond, oh, that would be costly. That would be meaningful because that, that's precious. See, we, we don't value all death the same, do we? We don't value all death the same because if you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a dead bug, you might even be glad he's dead, right? You, you see a dead bug, you see a dead ant, you don't mourn, you don't grieve. In fact, you don't even remember the fact that you saw a dead bug because a dead bug is not precious. A dead bug is meaningless, inconsequential, unimportant. But a person is totally different, especially if it's someone you love. And that's what the psalmist is saying. My death is costly to the Lord. My death, the death of his saints, is not meaningless. It's not inconsequential. It's not unimportant. It's important. It's significant. It means something to God. And that in and of itself should shock us, shouldn't it? That the God of the universe, the God that created all things, doesn't just think of our death like the death of an ant. For God, our death is nothing like the death of an ant or a beetle or a spider. Our death is precious, significant, meaningful, consequential. God cares when his saints die. And that should shock us. That should shock us. That God gives any any mindfulness to our passing. God cares about our life. God cares about our death. And in this case, the psalmist is saying, my death is so precious to the Lord. My death is so consequential to the Lord. My death is so important to the Lord that he prevented me from dying. He prevented me from dying. He saved me from dying because my death is precious. Not God welcomes our deaths. God prevents our deaths a lot of times. But even when God doesn't prevent our death, even when God doesn't intervene and prevent our death, don't think for a moment that it's inconsequential to him or that he doesn't care. Because God cares about our life And God cares about our death. And in response, the psalmist says in verse 16, O Lord, I am your servant. I belong to you because what you have done for me. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Based on what you have done for me, I belong to you. I am your servant. You see, that's what we should do. Even if just once, even if just once God showed up and God worked in your life or the life of people you love to prevent or to minimize pain or suffering or death, if just once, and who of us can't say that, that God has answered at least one of our prayers and that even though he wasn't obligated to do so, he showed up and he helped you in some way, then we ought to be so grateful we devote ourselves to him and say, okay, I'm yours now. From this point on, I belong to you. But you see, the Bible goes so much further than this, doesn't it? It isn't just that God showed up one time and fixed one problem, or one time he intervened and prevented our suffering or our pain or our death. It's that God showed up in the cross. And this psalm doesn't just give us something we can relate to. It's not just relatable, it's evangelistic. In other words, it tells us the good news about Jesus. This is why Jesus was willing to die. Because the death of his saints is so important to God. Because God couldn't let it go. God couldn't let it go that over and over and over again his saints suffered death. His saints were, were drugged down to the grave by death and God couldn't just say, well, no big deal. That's inconsequential to me. I don't mind. I don't care. Who are they to me? God didn't say that. He said, those people belong to me and I'm going to set them free. Those people are mine and I'm going to raise them from the dead and that's why Jesus died. In fact, we could put it this way, that death the death of his saints. The death of his saints means so much to the Lord that he experienced death to bring us to life. That's how the psalm points forward to the gospel, doesn't it? That the death of his saints means so much to the Lord that he experienced death to bring us to life. He wouldn't let it go. Not even one of them. If you belong to God, He will not let you be an eternal victim of death. If you belong to him, he says, I want you back. I want to raise you from the dead. And what he has done for Jesus, he will do for you. And the reason Jesus died, the reason Jesus died to make us his holy ones, to make us his saints, and to bring us back to life is because death is so meaningful to God. Because the death of his saints means so much to the Lord, he was willing to experience death to bring us to life. So when someone we love dies, don't think for a minute, don't think for a second, don't think for a moment That to God, that was inconsequential. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't care. And, And if there is a moment in our life where God doesn't intervene to prevent our pain or our death, don't think for a minute that that's because he doesn't care. We could talk at length about the reasons God allows us to go through pain and suffering and eventually death. But don't think for a moment that even when he allows it, that he doesn't care about it because you have never had a pain. You have never had a sorrow. You have never had a tear that for God, it was inconsequential. God cares about every one of your pains. He cares about our death so much that he was willing to experience death himself To bring us to life. That church is the gospel. And because God has done that, not just because he answered a few of our prayers here and there, but even if that's all he did, we should devote ourselves to him. But that he experienced death to rescue us from death, to bring us to life so that we could be immortal, so that we could live with him forever. The fact that he has done this, should make us say what the psalmist said, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. I belong to you because my life and my death are so meaningful to you that you experience death to bring me to life. I'm your servant. I belong to you. I'm overwhelmed that you would even listen to me, much less make me yours and experience death so that I could live. I'm your servant, God. I'll go anywhere. I'll go anytime, I'll do anything, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I belong to you because of what you have done for me. That's what we're saying when we're baptized, isn't it? We're overwhelmed with gratitude and we're baptized not only so that our sins can be washed away and we could be made saints and receive sainthood, but to devote ourselves to the Lord, to say, I am your servant because my death meant so much to you that you experienced death to bring me to life, I now devote my life to you for now and for eternity. And I know, I know that as we walk through this life, we suffer grief and pain and sorrow, and we can call out, I am greatly afflicted, and this hurts. But don't think for a minute that your pain is inconsequential to God, because your pain And your sorrow and your grief, your life and your death are precious to the Lord. And he has done, is doing, and will do countless things so that you know just how precious you are to the Lord. And church, if we can help you in any way this morning, whether to put Jesus on in baptism or pray for you or encourage you, our shepherds would love to visit with you at the information desk as together we stand and sing this song.